We're so excited that you are here with us this morning to worship our great God, who indeed is making all things new. And we're going to see that even in the story we look at this morning. You know, every follower of Christ has a story to tell. And one of the most dramatic stories of conversion in all of history is that of Saul, also known as the Apostle Paul. As we near the close of our series, Undeniable Encounter, it is indeed undeniable that Saul had a truly powerful encounter with Jesus. I could tell you stories today of very dramatic conversions of mafiosos and drug dealers and slave traders and more, but none would be any more of a night and day experience than that of the story of Saul. This vicious, relentless persecutor of those who were followers of Jesus was encountered by Jesus, and he was changed radically within a few days' time. As we come to the scriptures today, I want to remind you that this is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God, and it's given to us for our good. If you're willing and able, I would ask that you would stand out of respect for God's word as we, in Acts 9, hear the word of God. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man and how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight 
and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. The word of the Lord. Dear God, please be seated. Let us pray. Our Father, we enter here today with many thoughts on our minds and issues and concerns. We simply ask that you would give us the grace to slow down and be still. Give us ears to hear from the Lord Jesus, just like Saul. For we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, what do we know about Saul? Let's look at his story, his life before Christ. Let's look at the encounter he had with Jesus, and let's look at his story, his life with Christ. First, Saul before Christ. Saul was profoundly religious, and he thought he had a key to heaven. He was pursuing a right standing before God on his own. He thought he could gain access to God by his own actions. You know, sometimes we think that we have a key to life also, the key to freedom and joy and no worries. And that is exactly what Stephen Thomas thought. He had it made. You see, in 2011, he had been gifted 7,000 bitcoins. That was the first year that the Bitcoin climbed to a value of $1 per coin. The value of Thomas's coins a couple weeks ago, when this story made national news, was a staggering $220 million. He thought he had it made. No worries about anything until he tried to access his account. And apparently, Bitcoin accounts can be opened by a password, but you get 10 attempts at that password, and there's no backup system at all. Well, this man has tried eight passwords. He has two more attempts. And if he fails in those passwords... The digital wallet is literally shut down forever. All the security of never having a financial concern in life is gone for Thomas. It all hinges on one thing, the right password. Now, we know that Saul thought he had it figured out. For him, it was not financial security. His passion and his zeal for his cause were what he thought would put him into a right relationship with his God. Saul, a very strict Pharisee, was pretty sold on himself. And we see what he was depending upon to put him in that right standing with God. He would later write in Galatians, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. And he wrote to the Philippians, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, 
as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Saul was a hater and he was a persecutor. He had just approved in Acts 8 of the execution of Stephen by stoning. He was this really bad dude and it was all cloaked in the guise of religion. Acts 8 tells us, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul's an angry, violent, madman, one wreaking havoc on the followers of Jesus, men and women. It's very strong language that's being used here. It's the same Greek word ravaging that was used to describe an army destroying a city completely. And it was used to describe a wild animal tearing its prey apart. The tense of this verb is imperfect, which means that he ravaged and he kept on ravaging. Paul said in Galatians, for you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. And now Saul, convinced of his own self-righteousness, would go out of his way once again to hunt down the followers of Jesus to punish or perhaps even kill. He was willing to travel the 130 miles, a six-day journey to Damascus to brutalize these followers of Jesus. In Acts 9, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This is the first time the way is used to describe the followers of Jesus. And the way is used five times in the book of Acts. The way was rapidly spreading and had already made it to Damascus, and that concerned Saul. The way was both a belief in Jesus as the Messiah and Savior, but it was also a way of living in radical love. Saul, in contrast, lived in hate, intent on destroying the way. One commentator said it this way, Saul was decided against Jesus when Jesus decided for Saul. So let's look at Saul's encounter with Jesus. It was as if Saul was electrocuted on that road, but it was not an electrocution unto death. It was an electrocution unto life. Jesus invaded his heart and his mind, the total being of Saul. Pastor Tyler last week mentioned a quote from author Kurt Thompson. We all are born into the world looking for someone looking for us. We know from this passage that there was someone looking for Saul and he found him on that road. Let me recap the story for you. Saul's on his way to Damascus. He's going to persecute the followers of Jesus. Saul enters that road and he encounters a blinding light. And years later, 
in Jerusalem after being arrested and standing before King Agrippa, Paul, recounting his story of conversion, says that this light, which happened at midday, was brighter than the sun. You know, one cannot help but think of Jesus describing himself as the light of the world. This Jesus had actually healed blind people. And now he appeared in a light that blinded Saul. And it showed Saul his real condition as blind in his understanding of God, of salvation, of the role of Jesus, and so much more. And with the blinding light, there was this audible voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul thought he was pleasing God, that he was serving God. But the Lord powerfully makes it clear that in fact, Saul is guilty of persecuting God, not pleasing him. Saul was not just attacking the followers of Jesus. He was actually attacking God himself. Saul responds with a question, who are you, Lord? You know, many times we ask questions of the Lord also. Um, Some of us probably every day, and it may be out of hurts or confusions or anger. It may just be wondering what's going on. A Gallup survey found that the top five questions people ask God are these. Will there ever be lasting world peace? How can I be a better person? What does the future hold for my family and me? Will there ever be a cure for all the diseases? Why is there suffering in the world? Okay, questions, but I think Saul asked the right question. Who are you, Lord? Saul gets an answer that absolutely shocked him, perhaps more than the blinding light itself. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. This had to be somewhat otherworldly. For Saul, Jesus was dead and buried, and yet he is being encountered by him. Saul is as brilliant as he was brutal. If Jesus was speaking, it meant that Jesus was not dead. Jesus is alive, which meant Jesus was resurrected. Later, the Apostle Paul would write to the Philippian believers in chapter 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. When you read Saul's or Paul's letters, notice how often he writes of the resurrection. And remember that before the encounter, he did not believe that Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead. Jesus also told Saul, rise, enter the city, and you will be told what you're to do. You know, when you've been knocked to the ground and spoken to by Jesus, you obey. Saul remained blind for three days, and he did not eat or drink, we're told. And we can only imagine all of the mental gymnastics going on in that very learned mind. After hearing the words, 
I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He had three days to ponder that and to evaluate his life and what he had been living for. And then Ananias comes to Saul. And this is such a um, real part of this story. In Damascus, there's a disciple. It doesn't say that he was a leader in the church. He's a disciple. That's all we know. He appears to be a follower of Jesus who is willing to say, here I am, Lord. He's willing and available to be used, even though he did have to check his hearing. Jesus says to Ananias, get up and go to the street, the house, look for Saul of Tarsus, and he knows you're coming. Ananias, upon hearing this, appears to be alarmed, and he says, Lord, are you sure about this? I've heard about this evil man and what he has done to your followers in Jerusalem. Jesus says, go. I have chosen Saul to be my instrument to take my name to the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Ananias obeyed. He went. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Brother Saul, Saul could not see Ananias, but he felt his touch. He heard his voice. And this appears to be the time that Saul received not only his physical sight, but also spiritual sight to embrace the risen Christ and receive the Holy Spirit, we are told. His eyes were open to the futility of his striving and to the beauty of the good news of the Lord Jesus. After Saul was encountered by Jesus, Our passage in Acts 9 tells us what happened to Saul. So let's see Saul's life with Jesus. Acts 9 goes on to say, Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. He was strengthened for the work before him, and he was baptized. He identifies with the followers of Jesus. He identifies with the way. And later, during the trial before Governor Felix in Acts 24, Paul admitted, I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. I know some of you are wondering about the name change. I keep saying um, Saul and Paul. Um, You probably heard something um, over the years like Saul the persecutor was given a new name, Paul the apostle. In the scriptures, there certainly are those times where names are changed. Abram was changed to Abraham and Jacob to Israel. And that really preaches well, but that's not what's happening here. In Acts, Saul is still referred to as Saul 11 more times after his conversion. And the change from Saul to Paul by the author Luke happens when Paul is sent out from Jerusalem on his missionary journeys. 
Acts 13, 13 says, Now Paul and his companions set sail. The reality is that this man had two names. Acts 13, 9 says, But Saul, who was also called Paul. In short, Saul is his Hebrew name, and Paul is his Greek name. It might be similar to an immigrant coming to the U.S., taking on an anglicized name instead of using their given ethnic name. So I hate to spoil it for anybody, but that's the reality of the two names, Saul and Paul. We see more of the changes in Paul after the encounter with Jesus and after regaining his sight. Acts 9 says, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Well, how in the world did this change come about in Paul? In this encounter with the light of the world, the invasion of his heart and mind, the whole person, Paul became a radically different man. And I'm going to use Paul's own writings to describe and explain this radical change, which involved years and travels and events and people. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is once again telling his own story, and he explains this change. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Before being encountered by Christ, Paul was on a self-made treadmill to earn his salvation by his zealous actions. And yet his treadmill was going nowhere. Tyler last week referred to the scorecard, which we can use. And Paul had a scorecard and no one had a higher score than Paul did, at least in his own mind. After boasting earlier of his confidence in the flesh, he says to the Philippians, again, telling his own story, Philippians 3, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Saul had lived to persecute 
Jesus. And now he lives to know Jesus and to make him known to others. Back to 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ambassadors, he says. Are you serious? If we go back to Acts 26, when Paul is before King Agrippa, recounting once again the story of his encounter with Jesus on that road, we have to remember that Jesus had told Ananias that Saul would name Jesus before kings. And here he is as an ambassador. He calls on the king. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and to great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And the king then responds to this ambassador. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. The power of one's story to impact others from persecutor to ambassador. You can't make this stuff up. The change is radical and real. And there's so much more that we could see and hear today. Paul told those in Athens in Acts 17, in him we live and move and have our very being. To the Colossians, he said, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then he goes on in Colossians 1, telling his own story. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that so powerfully works within me. Paul was all in. Some call it 168 living, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 168. Saul was learned. And he must have reasoned well with those listening. But I want to submit to you today that a most powerful tool which God used was the story and the change in his life. 
Remember verse 21 of our passage. All who heard him were amazed. All who saw him were amazed. What about us? Are we willing to be used like Ananias? His attitude was, God, what do you want me to do? Are you willing and available? What about when it stretches you, when it makes you uncomfortable, when it doesn't make sense to you, or even when it's fearful? We all have to admit, if we're truthful, we love also to be in control. In August of 94, there was a Korean airliner that skidded off a runway in South Korea, and it ended up hitting a barricade. 160 people on board were able to evacuate the plane just a few minutes before it actually exploded into flames. And there was an investigation that took place and what in the world caused this near tragedy? Well, the pilot and the co-pilot had gotten into a fist fight over who had control of the landing gear. Both wanted control and would not release control to the other. You know, there's some degree that we all want control. Saul had, ta- Saul. Saul had taken control and would not release control to the other. We all want control. Saul thought that he had a Bitcoin that would buy his right standing before God, only to find out that that Bitcoin, his works, was filthy rags. His password did not work. Ananias wanted control, and yet he obeyed God and became part of one of the greatest stories ever told. Well, a few points of application as we close this morning. Be open to God using you in the lives of others, just like Ananias. Loosen the grip on control. If you're sensing a leading to reach out, to speak a word of encouragement or an invitation to someone, do it. All they can say is no or get lost. But but God, in his grace, may take your word, your touch, your prayer, your invitation to open the eyes of one who has not yet seen the beauty of the resurrected Jesus. Work on telling your story to others. Your story is part of his greater story. You were invited into the life-changing story. Let's invite others into this life-changing story of Jesus. If we know Jesus, we have a story. It may not be as dramatic as Paul's, but it is powerful and it is beautiful and it contains the truth of the gospel. And God will use it in the lives of others. For me, my granny would tell me all the time that she was praying for me. And God heard her prayers. God rescued me from my own self-righteousness, my own seeking to be good enough so that God would love me. And God, the heavenly father, entered into my life after the confusion of an earthly father leaving my life. My story is part of God's bigger, life-changing story of Jesus. 
And as I'm willing to embrace it and marinate in it and grow through it, and as I share it with others, God will use that story. And he will use your story also, however complicated or however simple it is, because it is part of the greater story. 2,000 years later, God is still using the story of Saul on that Damascus road. You grandmothers pray. You might be the link in the chain of events that draws that child or that adult to the Lord Jesus. If you're here today and don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, if you don't belong to the way, today may well be a link in the process to open your eyes like Saul to the truth of Jesus. You may not even have realized that you've been looking for one who is also looking for you. Jesus encountering, invading the life of Saul means that Jesus still invades today. And you may be the one for whom Jesus is looking and coming. Whatever your story, you have something to offer. Hear it. You have something to offer that is undeniable and people can't argue with. It is your story. And God will take it and God will use it for your good and for his glory. Because Jesus changes everything. Let us pray together. Our Father, this morning, we thank you that we can call you Father. We have baggage and hurts and pains from living in this fallen world, and yet you have pursued us and encountered us. You have called us into your life-changing story. Thank you, Father. Now continue to strengthen us, just as you did in the life of Paul. You promise us that you will continue the good work which you have begun. And so we rest in that. Father, you will do that for our good and your glory. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.